Well, good to see you back tonight. Please take your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. It's been a month since we last met together in this book. We had Brother Hines, Brother Starr, and then I called in air support last week with <laughs> Brother Raymond Jones with the wedding going on, and thankful for his help. I was this close to calling Brother Thompson. He said he'd be here tonight, and I said, Brother, if I hadn't missed the last three weeks, and I'd have you come up here. But I don't want y'all to think you're paying me for nothing, so... Because that's pretty much all I do is, what, Wednesday, Sundays, that's it. So let's begin Acts chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Remember that the followers of Jesus are in Jerusalem doing as the Lord has commanded them. They are waiting to be endued with power from on high. They are waiting to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Jesus had told them, tarry ye until ye. Yes, He wanted them to go forth preaching, but first He wanted them to tarry. He wanted them first to be prepared to go forth by being full of the Holy Ghost first. Well, last time we had just started chapter 2. I gave you my opinion on when the church started. Because so many people say the church started on the day of Pentecost I do not see that personally. I believe the church started before the day of Pentecost. It is my personal opinion without re-preaching all that I said before that this church began when Jesus went up to the twelve and said, follow me. It was a called out assembly and He called them out. They had baptism through John and then before Jesus went to the cross, they observed the Lord's Supper. They had the two ordinances They had been called out. Jesus had already mentioned a church before then. And so I personally believe the church started before the day of Pentecost. People say, well, it had to be the day of Pentecost. That's when the Spirit came upon them. Not true. Jesus breathed on them in John chapter 20 and they received the Holy Ghost. They already had the Holy Ghost. They're now waiting to be endued with power from the Holy Ghost. So two different things that are taking place there. Anyway, we talked about how Pentecost means 50th, which means there were 50 days. They're now 50 days from the Passover. We know Jesus showed Himself alive for 40 days after His resurrection and before His ascension. Therefore, a maximum of 10 days has come to pass since Jesus has ascended and He's told them, go to Jerusalem, wait to be endued with power. And depending on where you start counting those days, you could lower the number from 10 down to 8, depending on if you use a full 24-hour day, things like that. So 8 to 10 days, they've been waiting just over a week for the promise of the Father. And remember that our Lord wanted them to wait because He wants them to know it's not all about their efforts. It's not all about them. It's all about God. 
And God doesn't want us starting to get the idea that, boy, we're really something. Look at what we did. God had them wait. He said, I, I'm, I'm going to get all the glory in this. I want all the attention. And we call this the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Really, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. And so these early believers, they're going to be filled. They're going to be endued with power. They're going to see God do an amazing work. See, it's not about us, but it's all about Him. This day of Pentecost here in Acts chapter 2 is all about how God was at work through them. There's nothing about this day, if we were to read this chapter, there's nothing about this day that they can take the credit for. That's how God wants it. There's nothing they can go and say, see? (laughs) No, God said, I want you to wait. All of a sudden this event happened, and God certainly got all the glory out of it. So I believe if we want to see God to do an undeniable work among us, we have to learn to just get out of His way and allow God to do the work. And we must learn to wait on God. We talked about that last time. We're not waiting for God. It's important you understand we're waiting upon God. Two different things. We don't just sit here and do nothing and wait for God. We're busy. We're waiting upon God. We're doing what we know to do. We're being obedient to what commands we know. In the meantime, we're, we're busy. And so... Um, understand that we don't just sit here and go, boy, I'm just going to stand still and God's just going to do all this great stuff and I'm never going to do anything. That's not what we're talking about here. But what we're saying is we don't want to get ahead of God. So I know people, they've waited for God. That's all they did. They waited for God and then got into the late 40s and realized nothing's happening. Got discouraged, dropped out. What's the problem? You were just waiting for God. You weren't waiting upon God. When you're waiting upon God, you're serving Him in the meantime. Now, I just want us to understand we aren't talking about being lazy when we say waiting upon God. We're talking about not getting ahead of God. This early church, they were obedient. They have returned to Jerusalem as Jesus commanded them. They were in prayer and supplication. They're active in what they were doing. They're they're even conducting business over at the end of chapter 1 to replace Judas Iscariot, so they weren't being lazy. And there's a lot that I would like to see God do. I hope you do too. I mean, reading the books is is nice. It's good to know what God has done and is capable of. And man, I would like to see it with my own own eyes. And for us to see God do something great, we have to remain obedient to what He's revealed to us while we're waiting upon Him. And so I just want to encourage us, let's just keep doing what we're doing, but let's stay in prayer that God would move and do something great. I hope that makes sense what I'm trying to say there. Let's move on to the second half of verse 2 as we begin today. They were all with one accord in one place. I've already mentioned in chapter 1 the need for us to be gathered together in one place. So I'm not going to labor upon this point, but I will say by way of reminder that it is God's plan for a church to be together in one place. He doesn't want us taking the Lord's Day and breaking into small groups and meeting in people's houses all over town. I reject the small group church movement. God wants us together in one place. God doesn't want us using live streaming to replace being together in one place. I thank God for technology. It has been a huge help for our elderly that can't drive at night. That's a blessing. It's been a huge help for those that get sick. Uh, And thank God for that. It keeps them plugged in. I love it. 
But God wants us together in one place when we're able. It's always better live, amen? So let's talk about being in one accord. Since we understand that, I've already preached on being in one place. Let's talk about being in one accord. This is a pastor's dream. This passage is proof that it is possible for a church to dwell together in one accord. It can happen. It's not out of reach. Every church should desire this and should strive to achieve this. There is no doubt that this phrase is crucial for what follows. They were together in one accord, and then all of this happened. It is absolutely crucial if we want to see the blessings of God upon this church body that we be of one accord. Let's talk about it again. We've talked about it many times, right? But let's keep talking about it. It keeps coming up in the Bible, so I'll keep bringing it up. All right. There is, um, it, it, there's all these different groups out there, right? There's sports teams. There's social justice movements. There's churches. There's um, employees. And there's businesses. There's gangs. There's all these different things that are out there where people are together. And for any group, if they're going to go forward successfully, there cannot be division within the group. I'm a sports nut, so I, I can think of times when organizations get that one cocky guy on their team who's talented above everybody else, but because it's got to be his way and he doesn't want to be a team member, it ruins the rest of the team and they don't make it, right? They just fall flat because some knucklehead had to have his way. Didn't want to be a team player. Anytime there's division, there's going to be problems in an organization. In Matthew 12, 25, Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself cannot stand. It's going to fall. That wasn't Abraham Lincoln on the billboard. It was actually Jesus that said that. Have you seen the Abraham Lincoln billboard? Pass it on. Yeah. Well, he got it from Jesus. Amen. Amen. They don't pay me to make those billboards. So, Caitlin, mine would be, be a Rufus. Don't be a doofus. Pass it on. Okay, anyway. So there must be... <laughs> Gary Brooks. Amen. <laughs> there must be unity for the success of any organization. Now, we understand we're much more than that. We're not just some organization. We're the church of the living God. We go beyond just some organizational plan, okay? Jesus bled and died for us. And if, but if we're going to function, so we don't see success as the world does, but if we're going to function effectively, then we must be of one accord. If you've sat under preaching long enough, then you know the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. And Paul had to deal with those things, and he writes to them, we don't even have his first letter. It's clear that in 1 Corinthians, he had actually written to them before. It seems that he understood that at the, the root of all their problems was their internal division. It, it's interesting. The first thing Paul writes after he introduces you know, himself and 
we're all blessed and how he does in his letters. The first thing he brings up after that, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 and 11 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Leave it up to Chloe, amen? <laughs> Chloe had let him know. There's contentions here. And before he gets into any other area that he's going to have to deal with, he beseeches them, don't have any division among you. None. He says, you need to speak the same thing, you need to have the same mind, you need to have the same judgment. You need to be perfectly joined together. Paul understood if the division went away, then he could correct them doctrinally. See, there's no point in going on to greater doctrine if you can't even get unity down. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men, he asked. Why were there divisions within that church? Why were they so divided? Well, Paul gave the answer very clearly. It's because they were carnal. They were carnal Christians. They were selfish. They were worldly. Their carnality led to divisions, and the divisions were a result of their carnality. And so it just was this circular thing that got worse and worse. And here's the deal. It's all a result of pride. Amen, church. It's all because we get prideful. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, he said, For first of all, when you come together in church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Almost without fail, when you hear of a church that has dissolved, Somewhere divisions entered in, almost without fail. Somebody got selfish. Somebody got carnal. They began to stir up trouble. Because it was going to be all about them and not about God. I want the ball more. James 3, 14-18, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Listen to what he says. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now that last phrase really caught my attention. Peace from them that make peace. We need some peacemakers. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Colossians 3, 12 and 13, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, 
bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You know what all this tells me? It tells me that being of one accord just doesn't happen. It takes effort. It's going to take some along the way who are willing to make peace. That have to be willing to say, my bad. I'm sorry. Those who can take the high road. Those who can forgive and move on. Now what we're talking about here through Acts, in our case, is we want to see a church in action. That's what I want us to be. A church that is active. Not just stagnant. Nominal, but we're doing something. And we've got this church in action here, but before there was Pentecostal action, there was first a sweet spirit found among the believers. This was a group of this day, about 120. Well, it would seem, based off of what we read in chapter 1, they must have had a sweet spirit among them. There was unity. They were like-minded. They were peaceful to each other. They were of one mind. They were of one accord. Then God moved supernaturally. Some people think that we can force God to move supernaturally because we're just cantankerous and tell everybody how it ought to be. God's going to honor our holiness. I'm glad He honors holiness, but He doesn't honor you just being a jerk. They already had things they could have turned into major issues. As I was thinking about them being of one accord, God about to do this amazing thing, um, they could have found reason not to be in agreement. I want to tell you, any church can find a reason. You don't have to look far to find something you disagree with with me. They already had things they could have disagreed with each other over. They had just installed Matthias as Judas's replacement. And somebody could have made a big stink over it. Someone could have got bent out of shape and said, I'm tired of my choice never being selected around here. I wanted that guy that had like three names. Justice, called Barsabbas, whose surname is Justice. Or Joseph, who is Barsabbas, whose surname is Justice. (sighs) That was my choice. That was my choice. But no, as always, the lot had to fall to somebody other than my choice. And you know what? I bet his name will never be mentioned again throughout the whole New Testament. I told you to pick my guy. If you would have picked Joseph, I guarantee you he would have been listed in some missionary journey with the Apostle Paul down the road. But no. You had to have your way. Nobody ever listens to me. Well, then they had the issue of waiting. There had to be that one guy who was like, can we just get going already? Peter, maybe, you know. No wonder we never get anything dug around here. All we do is sit around and wait. What has it been like a week already? I tell you what I'd be doing if I was in charge. <laughs> I'm having fun. I, yeah. Now, all kidding aside, it's sad how one issue, and sometimes one very minor issue, can divide a body believers into camps and cause, cause all manner of infightings. 
Some are experts at finding what they disagree with rather than seeing all the good they already agree with. I want to tell you, I've never seen God bless that kind of attitude. There are churches in our stripe that are just cantankerous as they can be. Their pastor is one of these guys that if you don't line up 100% with him, you're the devil. Because there's no way on God's green earth I could ever be wrong on anything. And so what do they do? They spend more time blasting other churches than lifting up the name of Christ and edifying others. And what happens is the people in the church become experts on what they don't believe. I'm not 100% sure why I believe this, but I can tell you what we don't believe. I don't know exactly why we believe this, but I know why the church down the road isn't right. And it's that divisive spirit which leads to a dead church. It's interesting because those who make one issue a dividing point, and I'm, I'm talking about those issues that are not you know, fundamental. We're not talking about the blood of Christ here uh, or something like that. I'm just talking about an issue that's not really worth dividing over. Um, doesn't affect who Christ is. But they take that one issue and they say, we, we can't be unified together. But they miss all that we agree on. Which is nearly everything, but anyway. My point is this. I've never seen God bless a church with a divisive spirit. You won't find it in the Bible either. Unfortunately, they begin to see themselves as the ones, the only ones left standing. These kind of churches. <laughs> Lord, I and only I am left. Nobody else is standing for truth. God, here we are. We're, we're still standing. We, we're still holding fast. They become blinded by their pride. What happened to Elijah? God said, look, I got 7,000 that ain't bowed the knee. Proverbs 13, 10. Only by pride cometh contention. So here's this church in Jerusalem. They're all getting along. Hallelujah. It wasn't that they didn't have things they couldn't, that they could have divided over. They did. But they kept their focus on Christ. You've heard me say before that unity and being of one accord does not necessarily mean that we all agree on everything. That, that, that doesn't mean one accord. One accord doesn't mean that we're all robotic and we all say yes to the same things, no to the same things, dress the same way, all these kind of things. That's not being of one accord. But it does mean when a decision is made, we all grab an oar and we begin to row the ship in the direction that God has said to go. You say, well, I may not disagree. I, I may disagree with how we remodeled the back. Okay, but now that we've decided to do it, get on board. Whoop. You know, I really don't like the way Breck landscaped out there. Nobody else stepped up. <laughs> Boy, I, I got to stop. I'm going to start preaching. I know you don't want me to start preaching uh, because then it'll be like a soapbox, Brother Long, and that's not good. Listen, I took, I, I took last Sunday morning, I expressed our need for a new facility. Today was another clear indication we need a new facility. Thank God for the visitors. I, we had over 200 people here today. What a blessing. We, we've got to do something. And, and, and thank God, but, but here's the thing. Some people may say, well, I don't think we ought to build. And other people say, I think we should. Being of one accord is once that decision is made, we all, regardless of what our, our opinion was before, we all get behind the decision that's made. Amen. That's being of one accord. Another good example, and I was so impressed with our church when this went down. Uh, remember when I pulled the plug on the, on the early morning service 
uh, back at the end of May. And, and some of you, I know, really like that morning service because you're an early riser. You like to get it over with. And uh, that came out wrong. That, that came out wrong. That, that's not how I meant that at all. Uh, however the Lord convicts you, amen? And, and so we pulled the plug on that. And some people said, you know, I really like that service, but we're going to do whatever. Whatever's decided, we'll do. And everybody did. That's, when, that's being of one accord. These folks in Acts could have experienced the first church split if they wanted to make an issue over Matthias being chosen over justice. And we know there were two opinions because they had to give the two people that they wanted to cast the lots on. So there was an opinion in this group over one and the other. But they stayed in one accord. And it is when we are unified that we will see God do great and mighty things which we know not. We talk about the need to see God move in order for our children to know God is real. But if all we do is bicker and backbite and all the rest, we can forget it. God is never going to bless disunity. No wonder as a whole we are witnessing a generation depart. They've never seen God supernaturally at work within their midst. They never saw a people of one accord, but they kept hearing all the backbiting. And they dropped out altogether in a lot of cases. This is why preacher's kids, many times, they go through a stage in life where they fight just being in church. All they've ever heard is all the negative comments about their dad. They see all the negativity and they, I don't want to be a part of that. Many of them end up in the hyper-grace movement. Because I got tired of hearing all the judgmentalness. And they swing the pendulum over to anything goes. Well, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't like him, and I don't like how he said it, and I don't like her, and I don't like that necklace she's worn the last three weeks, and I don't, I, I bet they think there's something because they get to drive around in a fancy car, and it must be nice, and I'll tell you what, and on and on. And the kids are listening. And they're thinking, I can't wait to get out of this nonsense. A church who is of one accord won't be this way. When a church is of one accord, people can enter in and they can sense a sweet spirit immediately. Guest preachers can get up here and say, you have something special here. Don't ever take it for granted. And we've heard that. A church of one accord will experience the blessings of God. Second Chronicles 5, 13 and 14, it came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. When they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praise the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. God showed up when there was unity. There was one sound. They were all together praising God, and God said, I'm going to bless that, to the point that Brother Long would have to stop leading music. We wouldn't even get to the preaching. We'd just fall on our face and worship God. Hmm. Psalm 133, 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I don't know about you, but I want to see God do miraculous things. What these in Acts chapter 2 were about to experience was God working among them, and that's what I desire. Something where even the community goes, what's the matter with you? Are you drunk? 
No. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, we'll get to that later. I don't want to be able to point to what we've done. But I want to be able to say this is what the Lord has done in our midst. Psalm 118.23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. I don't want to be able to explain it. I don't want to be able to say how the Lord, um, how we caused the Lord to do this and do that. Listen, I want to be able to step back and tell somebody, you know what? It's because God does exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. So what, what did you do? We just tried to live together in one accord. I want to be able to testify. I want my children to be able to say, I know God is real because I've seen His good hand upon our church. These in Acts chapter 2, they're about to experience a gracious move of God among them. And I'm convinced had they had sown discord among themselves, they never would have seen this. If they would allow disunity to creep in, divisions to spread, we wouldn't have Acts chapter 2 the way we do. So I want to challenge us tonight to be a people who put God first. May we swallow our pride. Take the high road. Truly be forgiving of one another. May we be a group of peacemakers. You're not always going to get your way. What color music binders do they get? Black? I mean, come on. I wanted blue. Um, you're, you're just not going to get your way. All the, I'm, I'm teasing, okay? Everybody chill out. Um, you're not going to get your way, but can you support your local church? You can say within, you know, I believe I would have chosen justice, but since the lot has fallen to Matthias, I'm going to get behind him and all the others. And we're going to press on for Christ. Church, I want to tell you tonight, we've been so blessed here. We have. God's been so good to us because we've kept our eyes on Him. But the moment that somebody decides to get their eyes off of Christ and decides to make all of this all about them, we can kiss all of those blessings goodbye because divisions will set in. So I want to ask you, is there someone that you're sideways with tonight? I mean, they just rub you the wrong way. Is there someone you need to go to and swallow your pride and get things right with them? I think you figured out one of my problems is I joke around too much. And I I take it too far sometimes. And uh, I felt like I did that Wednesday night with Breck. And I was saying how Brother Hines was impressed with him. And he said something about, what's impressed me? And I was like, well, if you don't know what impressed means, I'm not sending you out to preach anymore. I was joking, of course. But the Lord just pricked my heart that next morning and just told me, you know, you probably took that too far. I think you need to apologize to him. And so I did. Thankfully, he didn't take offense, or at least he told me that. Amen. But what I'm saying is, we all make mistakes. And I had to swallow my pride and say, look, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have done that. I, I'm an idiot, okay? I, and um, anyway, that's one of my weaknesses, as you know. But I have to try to maintain a right relationship as well with everybody. This isn't like, this is for you. I'm saying this is for us. We have to stay at one accord, and that requires us to go to people sometimes and say, you know, did I take that too far? Or maybe you know you did something wrong. You know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Um, Get things right with people. So please, don't let anything fester. That's one of the most frustrating things as a pastor is you find out something has festered for years. You never knew about it. Then it comes to the surface and somebody leaves and you go, why didn't you ever tell me? 
So if the Holy Spirit pricks your heart about something, you need to respond accordingly and do as He's leading you. And if we'll do that every time the Holy Spirit prompts us, we'll be just fine. Disagreements are going to happen. That's okay. But there never needs to be division. Let's be a church who knows the blessings of being of one accord. And I believe we'll see God do something miraculous in our midst. Let's pray tonight.